I want you to hold your Bible in your hand for a moment. If you don't have a Bible, grab one uh, from right in front of you, and you can hold that. One of the things that you do when you pick up a Bible is you probably ask this question. Yeah, you can hold your phone. I, I, I get it. Your, your Bible's on your phone, too. So is Angry Birds, so make a good choice this morning. Okay? When you're holding a Bible, you're looking at it, here's, your, here's a question you're asking. Is this relevant? Is this relevant to my life? And what you're wanting to know is, should I be paying attention to it? Should I listen to it? Preachers are asking this question. People say, well, how do you make the Bible relevant? Here's what I'd submit to you. I'd say this. I think that the Bible, I want to show you this morning, the Bible is as relevant as your next meal and quite possibly the key to unlocking kind of your next argument. Whatever next interpersonal argument you have, interpersonal conflict that you have, the Bible's that relevant. So is that relevant? That's probably within a few hours of time here, you're, you're going you're gonna to be seeing this. Now, here's the thing with this. If you were to ask someone, hey, would you turn to the Bible, where's the Bible talk about conflict? It's not laid out like a dictionary, right? The way that the Bible teaches is through stories and through examples and through principles and through parables and through history and through poetry, right? So as you're wondering and asking this question, is the Bible relevant you, you need to go and mine for it. To search out a matter is the glory of kings, says the Proverbs. And this morning what I want to do is this. I want to invite you to come with me as we kind of search for some things out. I'm going to pull out some nuggets, and I'm going to lay them in front of you. But, but really much of Sunday morning, in kind of the relatively short span we have, it's me pointing out for you, go dig over there. I mean, I think there's more to be discovered over there. Go dig. Go start searching this matter out. So, so as, as one of the pastors here, my heart is to say, God, would you help me to, to stir up? What is it your people need? There's never a shortage of topics to preach on, right? Ever. We can't possibly exhaust that. But as we go through Galatians, we're going to touch on some different things. And this morning, we're going to touch on, on conflict and eating. Okay, a couple of kind of common things. I don't know. Uh, Galatians 2 is where we're at. You can turn to Galatians 2. While you're turning to Galatians 2, um, I don't want, I don't want a raise of hands on this one, okay? But I want to know if anyone in here has any eating issues, okay? Now, eating issues is really complex. I don't know if you understand this, but eating got really complicated, okay? Uh, it used to be easier as a kid. You just, you just ate stuff, okay? But now you can overeat, right? That's an eating issue, right? You can undereat. You could somehow find this proper balance where it's the right amount of food, but then the wrong stuff, right? Because you're eating the right amount, but it's all the wrong mix of stuff. Now, by law, they have to tell you on a menu. They, they wish they didn't, but they have to tell you how many calories are in that thing that you love, right? Anyone have their eating habits change once you started seeing that, you know, 480 right up next to it? There's a few things I'm like, ooh, no, no, I'm not going to eat that anymore. So you, you can't overeat, can't undereat. If you get the right amount, you've got to get the right, you know, stuff in there. And then there's the whole issue of, like, eating for comfort eating for pain. I mean, there's just all sorts of stuff. I live with two three-year-olds who have massive eating issues, okay? Um, yesterday, this is a classic example. I already knew this was going to happen. This is exactly how my, my intro was set up this week. And as I'm eating my dinner last night, one of my three-year-olds succumbs to gravity and just falls right out of her chair. Boom! Right on the floor. And on the way down, I think reaching to save herself, she grabs her plate the pot stickers and rice fly off all over her and fly all over the ground. Now, her loving three-year-old brother says, 
Kaya! And he was all bummed because his pot stickers were now on the ground. And so he started eating off the ground and stuff. And I'm like, there you go, eating issues right here in my own home. That's about an every other day occurrence, okay? And then I asked my oldest son to clean it up. And he wisely waits about 30 seconds and the dog comes in and eats it. So we have, we have eating issues of all kinds going on in our home. Uh, let, me, let me mention two others that, that, are, that are big in the scriptures. And it's amazing how much they translate to today's day and age and the things that we're concerned about, things we talk about. One is this, eating food that violates your conscience. Eating or drinking food or drink that violates conscience. That's another food issue. That's another eating issue, right? And here's a second one, is eating which which either includes people or excludes people. So kind of the social notion of, of eating and who you eat with has this way of kind of providing a stigma. Either you're welcomed in or because I'm not eating with you, you're excluded. Now, food is one of those things, like a lot of things in life, it's a gift from God that's been sabotaged by the enemy. And, and this morning, a part, of what I, a part of what I hope comes out of this as we, as we read the scripture is this, that that we would allow God to redeem it. That maybe we would partner with God to reclaim the gift that food is, the gift that a meal is, rather than be controlled by it or use it in some manipulative kind of way. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Interesting that he brings out a meal, right? That you're eating and drinking. Now, I know what some of you are saying is, how, how does my eating my, my medium-rare cheeseburger, animal-style, with whole grilled onions, have anything to do with whether I'm glorifying God or whether I'm not? Well, we're we're going to read a passage here in just a moment, and here's what's happening. Paul is nailing Peter over his lunch. He's confronting him over his lunch because 1 Corinthians 10 wasn't happening. In just a moment, we're going to start picking up in verse 11. So find your place, Galatians 2, uh, verse 11. I want you to listen because Paul is going to do what Paul does. Okay, here's what, here's, what, here's what Paul tends to do. He speaks to very specific behavior. This is how you ought to live or how you shouldn't be living. But he's going to derive it from belief. When you look at all of Paul's letters, he starts with belief. And he says this, you are a child of the king. You've been redeemed. Therefore, walk in such a way. Now, because you're a son, a daughter of the king, stop sinning. Isn't that so much different than behavior modification, which says, start with the behavior? And he just walks up and says, knock that off. Stop doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. That's a lot of preaching, actually. And we just sang about this. We, we have a spirit that's strong in us, a God that's strong in us. That's, that's what we walk in. We, we walk in the results of that, not in the failing flesh that, that we experience. So I want you to listen for that as we read this morning. All right. Told you to get to your place. I didn't get to mine. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 says this. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, being a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Here's in a nutshell what's going on. Peter is preaching a false gospel by the way he's eating his lunch. Ever hear the expression, actions speak louder than words? Paul sees this, and so he goes into theology linebacker mode, and he blitzes Peter. I'm taking you out! Because you're preaching a false gospel by the way that you're eating your lunch. And it's coming through so loud and clear. Part of why he's so uptight is because Peter is a leader, right? Peter was a leader all through the Gospels. What a leader does, people tend to take their cues from, and if the leader's doing this and veering off course, Paul knows that there's urgency to this. Now, if you're taking notes, I just put two things down. I put, I put Peter down and I put Paul down. So what we're going to do is, is just kind of take a moment to kind of think through or look at these two men. These two kind of big characters involved. We just last week had these two meeting in Jerusalem. Remember the Jerusalem Council that we talked about from Acts chapter 15? They're meeting together, and what did they do? They shook hands, right? They extended the right hand of fellowship. We're in agreement. Now, we don't really know the, the, the time frame from between where we left last week at verse 10 to verse 11, but all of a sudden we're in Antioch. We're now in a Gentile city. We're not in Jerusalem anymore, and... And the, the ramifications, the implications of that are starting to, to kind of, to kind of come, come to fruit. So let, let's, let's look at Peter. And all of a sudden you go from right hand to fellowship to opposing face to face in a public setting. What's the deal? We're going to kind of look at that. Uh, if you, if you look at Peter, Peter was a Jew. And so he grew up with the knowledge that part of what set him apart was following the law of Moses that had been handed down to him through his ancestors, right? That's part of what a Jew finds his identity in. We are set apart and holy as a people. And there are some outward signs like circumcisions and ceremonial washings and dietary laws. Now, he comes to follow Jesus and and comes to understand, comes to believe, comes to place his faith in the fact that this Jesus of Nazareth is, in fact, the promised Messiah that we've all been waiting for. And he gets personally trained by Jesus for about three and a half years. So he follows Jesus around, he's learning from Jesus, and he begins to, to see some, some different things. And then he did what no Jew would do. He began to eat and associate with Gentiles. He began to eat and associate with Gentiles. We don't find that a big deal, probably most of us, unless you're of Jewish background. You would say, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. So all of a sudden, he's eating with Gentiles and associating with them. The question is, why? Here's why. God told him to. You can kind of save your place in Galatians. Flip over to Acts chapter 10. Okay, In Acts chapter 10, we're going to see that God, God tells him in a dream. He gives him this dream, and it's this sheet that comes down. I remember I had a picture Bible as a kid, and I remember seeing this one. This is always kind of a weird one. A bunch of animals on a water slide coming from heaven. I'm like, I don't really get this one a lot. But a sheet comes down. There's all these different unclean animals, right? Think bacon. I know. I, I'm always bringing it back to bacon to kind of snap you back to it. So all this does before him, and, and the Lord tells him, kill and eat. What's his response? Anyone remember his response? No. Never, Lord. I haven't done that since the time I was born. That's part of my identity. We don't do that. 
Remember what God says to him? What I've called clean, don't call unclean. Remember how many times he gets the, this dream? Three times. Three is kind of a big number in Peter's life. If you go back and read the Gospels, you'll kind of track with, with what I'm saying there. So he's told to, uh, to kill and eat and also told to, to go down to the Gentiles. Look at Acts 10 with me. And in Acts 10, it says this, starting in verse 28. So he, he, he's told, go down, go down with these Gentiles. And he said to them, you yourselves know. He shows up at some Gentiles' house. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. By definition, that's a Gentile, a non-Jew. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? So Paul has this dream about eating, killing and eating, and God says, what, what I've called clean, don't call unclean. Peter moves that from food now to people, okay? And he says in that dream, you're going to be, you're going to be called for. Now Cornelius shares his dream. Cor- Cornelius is a non-Jew, he's a Gentile, he's a Greek. And he has a dream. He had been up praying and seeking the Lord, and he has this, he has this dream to say, go to this guy Peter and send for him. He has a message. I want you to listen to the message. Now, when you pick up the story in verse 34, Acts 10, 34, it says this. Cornelius shares his dream. That's what the middle part is about. And then it says this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of Judea, I mean of of the Jews, and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. What Peter does, he shares the gospel. Do you see what he does? He mentions the death of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. He doesn't leave it there because that means he's just left in a grave like a lot of leaders who've risen up and claimed a lot of things. He mentions the third day, the most important part of the story, right? The empty tomb. So he preaches the simple gospel to this this non-Jewish nation. And do you see what, what what's happening here is this. Peter, in moving from not associating, not dining with them, to now doing it, it's starting to click in his brain. God is doing something so much bigger. Remember my globe last week? So much bigger than Jerusalem. So much bigger than this tiny little nook and corner of the thing. This thing's global. I now see that God shows no partiality, but that in all nations, anyone can be acceptable to God through faith in Christ. But, there's a big but here, and that's this. Under pressure, what Peter tends to do is this. Peter tends to take his convictions and lay them down. When pressure comes on, he tends to back away. I refer you to a servant girl who comes to him during the night of Jesus' arrest, right? What is Peter known for in the Gospels in that portion of Scripture? As the denier. He denies that he ever knew him, right? Had his convictions changed? No, no, no. But had his behavior changed? Absolutely. Here's the exact same scenario. I want to go back to where Peter first gets this vision so you can see how crystal clear it is to him. Go eat with Gentiles. In eating with Gentiles, you are receiving them in the fellowship. They are part of this. This is God. I'm going to say it two more times. 
Okay? I wanted to show you that in Acts so you can see where he gets his conviction from. But now, even though his conviction is here, his behavior has pulled way back from that conviction. Now, lest we just judge Peter and go, tsk, tsk, that Peter. Always pulling back from his convictions. Don't we do the same thing? Let me take a quick poll. You can kind of raise your hand silently, okay? We won't, we're not out to, to shame anyone here. But I would venture to guess that many in this room walk in what you don't believe, okay? Now, don't raise your hand. Actually, raise your hand for this first part. How many of you believe that living in perpetual debt is a bad thing? Raise your hand if you think living in perpetual debt is a bad thing. Okay, everyone put your hands down, okay? That was a good 90%, if not more. You can leave your hands down on this. How many of you walk in perpetual debt? How many of you... No, don't put your hand up. That's okay. That's a different class, a different seminar. But how many of you walk in perpetual debt? You'd say, yeah. That, my, my conviction is that it's a bad thing, but, but the way I live my life is that, yeah, I'm doing that. Here's the second one. How many believe that eating the right things and getting exercise is a really good thing? Raise your hand if you think that's true. A little bit less. A little bit less of you on that one. Don't be taking my ruffles from me, okay? All right, put your hand down. Now, same thing. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you are doing that? How many of you walk in that daily? Or or, or how many of you have that conviction, but you kind of walk in something else? You know what this distance between those two is? It's, It's hypocrisy. It's just hypocrisy. Now, here's the message. Listen to this. Praise God that, that God loves the hypocrites. Amen? I mean, praise God he loves the hypocrites. And praise God that he sends people to the hypocrites to hold up a mirror and say, brother, sister, your convictions haven't changed, but you're not walking in that. By definition, that's hypocrisy and that's sin and that's preaching a false gospel. All right, let's turn our attention to Paul for a moment. Paul is not just calling out Peter because Peter was being rude or unkind. This isn't bad table manners. Hey, psst, mind your P's and Q's. That's not a nice thing to do. Instead, he's calling him out because it's not in line with the gospel. That's why he goes into, again, theological linebacker mode, right? And he goes after this. There's a, there's a, there's a verb in, in verse 14. Um, where, uh, where what it says is this. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, that, that word in the ESV translated in step is actually a compound word, and it's really two words, okay? It's, it's the word ortho, and ortho just simply means straight. How many of you have seen an orthodontist, okay? I personally fund a orthodontist, lots of money. Um, I have lots of kids. She's very nice to me because she knows I have a lot more kids coming. Um, an orthodontist is, is intending to do what to your teeth? Straighten them out, right? So, so ortho just simply means straight or in, in line with. And then the second word is podeo, which has the idea of foot or walking. So, so literally these two words put together here, not walking in line with is this, that they were not straight walking. They weren't walking the straight and narrow. They weren't walking straight forward. So Paul is going to come along and he's going to offer sort of this, this idea of, hey, let me, let me, let me be an ortho, orthopedic person, surgeon here, and show you how to get your crooked walking straight in line with the gospel. 
your actions are preaching a false gospel. Let me help you out. So he comes in and he confronts that. All right. So the lesson part of this in theory is over. What I want to do now is I want to just shift gears into two what I believe are very concrete, very doable action steps for you in the next several minutes or hours or days. But it's not just something that you're going to do for a little bit of time. It's, it's really something that you just need to, to walk in the rest of your days. And what you'll see is this. You'll need the Lord's help to, to walk in this. We all do. The gospel has implications in everyday life. The question is this. How does the truth of the gospel come to bear on this situation? Am I ortho-walking? Am I walking in line with the truth? Is this straight or is it not? And so we're going we're gonna to bring those to it. All right, the first one is this. First action point, if you're taking notes, is simply this. Reach out and welcome in. Now, if you see this logo, you probably remember that in the month of September, we took an entire month and basically preached from Romans 15, 7, one verse. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. The reason we spent an entire month on that is because of this. We said, let's take the first two weeks of that and look at how did Jesus welcome us, and let's be welcoming just to the body of Christ. Let's just be brothers and sisters the way God commands us to. Then the next two weeks, the final two weeks, we're turning our attention out and saying, okay, you know, how, how do we reach out and welcome in the way that, that Christ welcomed us? What we said back then was this, Lord, would you please not let this be just a September push? We don't want to reach out and welcome in for a month because it's back to church month. Let's get a few more people in here. We want to do this. Why? Because this is ortho walking. This is in line with the gospel. This, this very action of ours preaches. So help us to do that. Do it for the glory of God. Church, I want to challenge you to be a welcoming people. I just heard a great report this morning. I just met someone who's relatively new, and they gave the comment. They said, we want you to know we've been talked to here. We've been been welcomed in here. It's very abnormal in a good way. So thank you. Thank you for the partnership in preaching the gospel by the way that you're treating one another in this building on a Sunday morning. What I want to say to you is this. Don't stop with that. There's someone else who's further along. They've been in our church a little while longer, and and, and he's made the comment to me, he said, you know, I have, I have a lot of kind of, um, you know, pre, prefab appointment friendships. In other words, I'm friendly with people at, at 1045 when I come to second service, and that lasts till about 12. And I'm friendly with people on Thursday night at men's group, um, but that's very scheduled, 7 to 9. But real friendship goes beyond kind of appointments, Right. So here he is in the months in stage of getting into a church, and he's just, he's just being open and vulnerable, saying, I love this church. I love this family. But, but he feels a little bit like, like the person who's kind of, kind of in the family, but not quite in the family yet. We can all kind of feel that. And friendship goes beyond that. Friendship goes to spontaneous things and, 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 just, and just those kinds of things. So I want you to know there are people sitting around you right now, even though everyone all looks kind of plugged in and everyone must be settled in and good, they're not. Okay, I really pray that you use your time driving to church as a time to prep for worship. God, I expect to, re- to receive. I expect to be blessed. That was, a great, that was a great word, Rich. I expect to be blessed. Would you help me to be a blessing to others? 
Abraham was blessed, the entire nation was blessed, so that they would be a blessing to others. God, would you use me this morning? I don't have any specific role. I'm not making coffee. I'm not doing name tags. I'm not putting the welcome surveys out. I'm not cleaning up the trash afterwards. Uh, but, but I have a role this morning, and that is to reach out and welcome in to the glory of God. Would you help me to do that? Let me tell you, that's a toe dip of what God's calling us to do. Here's what I'd say, church. Don't just stop at, at reaching out across the aisle. What's being talked about here is ethnic. It's crossing racial lines. Do you feel that? A Jew and a Gentile. Talk about animosity. I can't associate with you. I'd love to be friends with you, but you can't come to my house. I'm a Jew and you're a Gentile. Forbidden. You don't think, you know, generations of that has caused a little bit of a rift? Church, don't just reach out. Don't just get up and walk across an aisle to reach out and welcome. You, church, this church, let's lead the way in crossing whatever barrier it is. Ethnic's just one of them, right? Economics, another one. Political is another one. And we could just go on and on with this. Reach out and welcome in. Not so you'll have more friends. Not so you'll get a great community. But for the glory of God, always with a glory, always with a view to the glory of God. Now you will benefit by having more friends. You will benefit from the gift of community, but that won't be your God or your end goal. Glorifying God will be. In a few minutes, most of us will eat lunch. Could it be, let me just put this out there, could it be that how and who you eat lunch with will be a sermon heard louder than what I'm doing right now in terms of proclaiming the gospel? I think it could be. I think it is potential. Catch this. There's potential for someone to have a lunch today that in five years at the church camp out, they would look back and go, you know what? It was one Sunday, some random Sunday, and I went out to lunch with that person, and I was hooked after that. I understood the gospel for the first time. I finally felt like, yeah, this is my church home. And we go, wow, really? It started over a meal? Do you see how it's, it's, a, it's a gift of God? Most of you, three squares a day. I can tell. Okay? I'm just saying. We're, we're not a starving bunch in here, most of us. That's three times a day, not just to pause and pray for five seconds, God, thanks for the meal, but to celebrate all that this is. God, you've put us in a place of need where we need to stop and put something in our face, right? just so happens that doing that in community, doing that in fellowship, doing that with one another, that's a, that's a great thing. The context for Romans 15, 7. Look, flip, flip over to Romans 14 for a moment. I want you to see this. The context for reach out and welcome one another as Christ welcomed you, Romans 15, 7, begins back in Romans 14, 1. So turn to Romans 14, 1. And it's centered around, catch this, you guessed it, eating issues. He was talking about meals and food and the issues that surround that. Look at Romans 14.1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Without getting into all of this, if you don't understand the scriptures, you're going, what's wrong with eating vegetables? Let's table that for just a second, okay? Here's the gist of it. The gist of it is this. 
there are some open-handed issues, and eating vegetables or eating meat is one of them. So leave it open-handed. Have your opinion. Have your conviction before the Lord. But there are some closed-handed issues. Hang on tightly to those. Don't budge on those. Quarrel over these. Don't quarrel over these. That's what he's saying. Let's skip down. Look, uh, look at verse 13. He goes on to say there, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather, if you're a highlighter or an underliner in your Bible, highlight this, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Verse 20, Do not forsake, or do not for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that would cause your brother to stumble. You know how this argument's usually phrased to me? Hey, pastor, am I allowed to eat this or not? I, I, don't, I don't think... I'm not sure I've ever had someone come up to me and say, I am deeply concerned and in love with my brothers and sisters in my church. Do you think my eating or, or drinking this would cause another to stumble? Do you see the outward focus of that versus, hey, pastor, can I eat this or not? It's an outward focus or an inward focus. And what, what's being said by Paul here to the Romans is welcome people in. Don't let open-handed issues stop you from welcoming them in. Don't make sure they line up with every nook and cranny of what you think about things before you go, okay, you're in. Welcome them in as Christ welcomed. All right, that leads us to our second action. So if you're taking notes, the first one is reach out and welcome in. Uh, the second one is, uh, has to do with conflict. Ever struggle with conflict? Okay, if not, we have a name for you. Okay, We call you psychopath. All right. If you never struggle with, with conflict, you're a psychopath or you're an ostrich. No, we're all good. There's no conflict here at all. We're good. Okay, you're burying your head in the sand and you're an ostrich. It's really one of the two. Okay, Everyone struggles with conflict on some level. And, 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 and my, my invitation to you, my, my challenge to you is this. Um, fight right. C- come in and, and fight right. If you're taking notes, that, that's the second one. Reach out and welcome in is the first concrete doable today. The second one is to fight right. Just write that down. I'll kind of, I'll kind of lay that out for you of, of what I'm talking about. Conflict is inevitable. In marriage, on a team, on a church staff, it's inevitable to have conflict. You get people together, they're going to be in conflict. Now realize that Satan thrives on conflict. There's all kinds of lists of, of things in scripture that are the works of the flesh, that are the works of the enemy. And you'll see words like this, enmity and strife and argument and doubt and temper. And all of those have to do with, with conflict, adding fuel to the fire. There's even conflict within yourself. If you're back in Galatians, flip over to Galatians 5 for a second. Galatians 5, this is where Paul's going, okay? Galatians 5.17 says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Do you hear the conflict? And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. More conflict. For they are opposed to one another. There's more conflict. To keep you from doing the things you want. There is a war within every single person you'll ever meet. There are things they want to do because they believe that will make them happy, but they're wrestling with it. 
And I don't care if you're running headlong into sin or headlong to God. You're in conflict even within yourself. It's there. Here's a couple more things about conflict. Conflict can be overcome. After listing all these different things about conflict, Paul's going to move on to, and we'll get there in a a few weeks, onto the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is peace. Some of you have seen Christ work in your marriage. Peace where there once was conflict. In your relationships with your family and your coworkers. Peace where once there was conflict. As, uh, As the conflict, the war within yourself. Peace where there once was conflict. So it can be overcome. I also want to put out that it, that it is necessary. When you see evil, not if, when you see evil, you ought to oppose it. You will be confronted on that, most likely. When you see evil, you should oppose it. So, so the goal isn't, let's eradicate all conflict. Aren't Christians supposed to just be nice? Why would they ever get in an argument? It's not to eradicate conflict. It's to have the right kind of conflict. It's to have the right kind of fight. It's to fight the good fight. That's how I'd put it. So Paul goes from shaking hands with Peter to now opposing him because Peter had been gladly eating with Gentiles and then all of a sudden James, who represents the Jewish Christians, shows up and by their actions, out of fear of men, he does what he does when his pressures are on. He doesn't act on conviction, but he, but he caves in to man's pressure and he pulls back and there's hypocrisy. Here's what's curious about that. If only Peter had remembered Jesus, Right? Wasn't Jesus known for eating with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, he actually began to get a reputation for that. Peter got to see this firsthand. As I'm sitting here thinking, if only he'd remembered Jesus, here's what I thought about myself. How many times is that true for me? If only I'd remembered Jesus. And what kinds of things could I avoid if only I'd stopped to remember Jesus? Someone's going to come up with, you know, WWJE, right? What would Jesus eat, right? And they're just going to be like, I learned this from Galatians. You know, if we stopped and just thought, how would Jesus enjoy this meal? What would Jesus eat? That would go well to, to serve us with that. Paul is fighting for the gospel. Paul is fighting for our freedom. Really, we get to enjoy our freedom. And the question to us is this, what, what are we fighting about? What are you fighting for? The question comes up with this. When there's conflict, what should you do? Let me just give you four things very quickly. Should you seek a compromise? Okay, Kind of think, think about where you naturally fall in. Premarriage counseling is fun because you, you get to have two couples and, and most everyone falls into some, some kind of a category. And I've, I've changed these up a little bit, but we go through something similar to this. Um, should you seek a compromise? Should you fight to the death? Should you give in and yield, or should you agree to disagree and move on? Okay, four options. Compromise, fight to the death, give in and yield, or agree to disagree and move on. The answer really is, it depends. Right? I mean, it depends on the conflict. What Paul saw in this was not one of those where he goes, well, let's just agree to disagree on this. Why? Because it wasn't ortho with the gospel. It wasn't in line. It wasn't straight. And other people were following that off course. So he doesn't just let it go. Paul saw that this conflict wasn't one to compromise on. So he says it bluntly. Let's not force the Gentiles to live like Jews. 
When you look at Paul's motive for the, con- for, for the conflict, it was to preserve the truth of the gospel. Think about who the, who the winners were in Paul's argument. Paul confronted, Paul had a fight with Peter, and who were the winners? Here, here, here's a little list of the winners, okay? Um, those that were being shunned now get to enjoy fellowship again, right? How did it feel to be one of those Gentiles who used to be buddy-buddy with Peter, and all of a sudden Peter's like, yeah, I don't know you anymore. What is this, high school? You know, All of a sudden you're, you're, you're not in anymore. So they're, they're the winners. Future disciples like us are the winners. Paul was fighting for the preservation of the gospel. He was fighting for our freedom. Why should Dwayne Hood have to live like a Jew? His point here actually is this. We can't even live like Jews, and we're Jewish. Why should we make the Gentiles live like Jews? Why should we make the, the new converts dress like conquistadors, right? Is, is that, I mean, why should we make them dress this way? Why should we make them eat this way? Why should we bring our, you know, things and impose them on this? Let's have that be an open-handed issue. Let's hold to what is good and, and hold on to that. So we are the beneficiaries of Paul's fight. We benefit from that. Here's a third one. Ultimately, the very one that he was opposing is a winner. Do you see that this is done out of love? He was rescuing Peter out of hypocrisy. Peter, your foot's off. You are beginning to veer. God's sending me to steer you out of hypocrisy. Begs this question. We'll talk about this in community group this week. Who are the winners in your crusade? When you get all riled up and all fired up about something, who wins? Is it you? Is it your name? Is it your preferences? Is it your comfort? Or is it other people? Again, it kind of goes back to who, who we're fighting for, what we're fighting about. I think what, we're, what really stirs us up tells a lot about our heart, tells a lot about what we deeply believe. I want to look very quickly. He's motivated by love. I want to very, look very quickly at, at the how of, of how he confronted because we have a lot to, to, to learn from this. Just write down Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians 4.15 commands us to speak the truth in love to one another. And I believe what Paul's doing is laying out an example of that for us. He goes right to the person involved. If you want to know about interpersonal conflict, there's a lot of places in Scripture you could turn to, but this is a great one. He goes right to the person involved. He opposes him to his face. Now, he didn't have the temptation of, you know, Twitter, text, email, some of those kind of, kind of things. But those are cowardly ways to confront someone, are they not? Hey, I'm going to stand behind my blog and just blast away at someone. Ben made an interesting observation. We're, we're going through a book, and, and one of the rules that, that a, um, a church came up with with their technology was never confront an email. It's a good rule. We, we don't ever do that because it would be weird for me to send an email to Ben who's right through the door. We're a small enough organization, right? But he said this, he said, I wonder how many interactions online would be different if they were forced to have that conversation just face-to-face instead of hiding behind a screen, hiding behind a keyboard, right? Paul goes to Peter face-to-face. It's key because he goes to the one involved in it, right? So many people are like, I speak the truth in love to everyone except for the person I should be talking to. That's divisive. That's going to break down unity. Secondly, he bases it on the Bible, on the truth of God's word. He doesn't come to him and say, I don't like how you're treating people in some some subjective way. He calls them out. You stand condemned. Well, how do you know, Paul? Because the Bible says so. The Bible's straight. That's how. Okay. Thirdly, he does it publicly because the sin was public. So in other words, he confronts 
in kind with how the sin happened. Do you realize that just a few verses before, he goes to them privately? He goes to the apostles privately to kind of talk about some matters because that's what, that's what it dictated. But this sin was being done publicly. It was being watched by everyone, and people were being led astray. So Paul does it in front of everyone. Now, as an example, because this sin was public, I'll just apologize right now. This outburst of anger, me throwing a crinkled piece of paper at Rich, was wrong. And I humbly ask your forgiveness, Rich. All right, good. Now, I I really just wanted a second shot because I I missed the first time. Had that been done privately, I should have confessed privately. But had it been done publicly, I should have confessed publicly. So so what he was doing is is right. He was going to do it publicly because it needed to be done publicly. And finally, he's forceful, but he's loving. He's forceful, but he's loving in, in what he does. He's not milk toast and come and, oh, shucks, um, Peter, can I have something to talk to you about? He doesn't do that. He comes in and he loves Peter. He knows this is important, so he tackles him, right? He opposes him right to his face. Here's a simple tool in conflict. I don't expect you to remember all four of these things, but, but as you're reading the scriptures, mine for this stuff. Wow, that's conflict in the Bible. What can we glean from that? Here's a really simple tool for you. How can I please Jesus in this situation? Whatever conflict you're in, you ask that question. It's a simple tool. How can I please Jesus in this situation? It might change from situation to situation. If his name is at stake, then you honor him by standing firm. If your name is at stake, it might honor him by yielding and backing away and not making much of it. If evil's being done, oppose it, expose it, stop it. That honors Jesus in that. If your preferences are being trampled, compromise and yield your rights in love for another person. So do you see how situation by situation by situation, you say, "How, how can I please you, Jesus? What brings you the most glory in this situation? You don't have time to call your pastor. You don't have time to call your community leader. You don't have time to go, and I know I highlighted it somewhere in here. You fill your mind and heart with the scriptures. You let them speak to you, and in the moment, you say, Holy Spirit, you're with me right now. You give me power to discern right now what, 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 what kind of conflict you want this to be, how you want me to, to, to do this. I wrap up by just wanting to show you one more verse this morning. Actually, I'm going to show you one more after that, I think, but... Romans 16.20 says this. This is one more big conflict that we see. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. There's a great conflict going on right now. And Satan would seek to use food to get at your fellowship. He would use a meal to begin to preach a message that you're not in, but that person is. Don't you feel jealous? He would use something as good as a feast, a welcome lunch, Thanksgiving meal, to, to, to draw dividing lines between people and to actually build up walls instead of breaking those down. He would seek to use the great gift that food is and enslave you with it or use it as a weapon. I mean, there's just so many distortions that can go on with this. Here's our challenge. Fight for oneness. Reclaim food for the gift that it is. Enjoy it without letting it control 
or destroy. Use a meal to make a friend. Christians, I would just challenge you with this. NBC, I would challenge you with this. Use a meal to make a friend. If you always gather the same few people because you really enjoy each other's company, that's great. The third Sunday of every month or whatever, say, you know what? Let's take this great thing we have. Let's all go find someone new and go do it with them this week. Do I want you to give up your little pot of people? No, that's a gift from God. But 20 years from now, if you say, we've been having lunch together every year or every week for 20 years, I'd say, wow, maybe God was trying to break into that. Maybe there were others that needed lunch with you. I don't know that that's such a great thing. Look out and make a friend with a meal. Where he's going with Galatians is this. Just listen. Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's coming a day where we will sit at the Father's table and we won't be marveling over our, you know, pouting over our differences and fighting all that. We will simply be marveling at the great diversity in the ways that God saved. Say, wow, isn't this an incredible mosaic of grace that he's put at this table? We can start living that right now. I'm going to invite the band up. In a few moments, you'll have the opportunity to take what I've just said and put it into practice, to reach out and welcome in. Many of you in a little bit of time will go have some lunch. I don't want to guilt you into having lunch with someone you don't want to have lunch with, okay? That would be counterproductive. I just don't want to do that, okay? That's just a really awkward lunch. You're like, thanks, Dave. That was an hour of pain, you know? I guess we both have to have lunch together. That's not really what I'm talking about. But here's what I know. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Everyone looks like they're connected and dialed in and have it all together. They don't. You need a friend. They need a friend. God's put us in the same building together. Okay? It starts right here. Let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I want to praise you for this morning. And thank you for your word that teaches and instructs us. And I pray, God, that you would fill us up to a measure that we've not experienced before where we have a deep love, God, where it becomes a get-to, that we get to cross an aisle to go in and reach out to someone we don't know. God, you haven't called us to be best buddies with everyone in this room. That's way too many. But you have called us to reach out and welcome in as Jesus did to us, which was while we were still in process, which is while we were even still antagonistic toward you, which is while we still were filled with doubts and questions about who you were and what the scriptures were all about. Would you teach us to walk in that conviction? And may it be to your praise and glory. Amen.